You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to the show. I'm Jay Mack in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, this is Sam Wade, all the way out in Los Angeles, California. And we've got a really incredible show. We're going to do another one of our Icon series, our monthly Icon series, where we talk about somebody who changed music or such has been such a moving force in the industry that nobody can compare or step to them. And then I'm going to go right to where you can get to the show every Wednesday. Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play drops every Wednesday. Just all kinds of podcast goodness in your ears. Like, just think of it like it's like a fresh bagel or a fresh loaf of bread coming out of the oven. Every Wednesday it drops. Go get it. Sam, tell them about the B-side that drops every Saturday. So every Saturday, J-Mac, we've been dropping a, a little short episode. It's something you can listen to, bite-sized morsels of two tape decks and a mixing board. Some of it is stuff that's from the cutting room floor. Some of it is things that uh, uh, maybe we talked about when that wasn't necessarily part of the main narrative. Sometimes it's just a funny thing. So check it out every Saturday, B-Sides. Well, this week we're going to do, do a woman on our Icon series. The first time. This week we're talking about the one and only Dolly Parton. Right now, this is a figure that, you know, for me, when I showed up here on Earth, Dolly was already solidified as an icon. Yep. Like it was it's like she's always been there. I think her first single came out in 1966, which was Dumb Blonde, which we can get into that whole thing a little bit later, because that was definitely the last thing you would ever call Dolly Parton. But she's been around basically since the Beatles. I mean, it's been it's been a minute. Yeah, you know, she's definitely like so here's here's how I feel about Dolly Parton. Um she's it seems like she's always been there. And the more that I ever dig into knowing more about what she's done, the more questions I have. Like she is an enigma and continues to be like literally this icon and and figure that is just larger than life. Well, I will say this, you played the Ryman, I guarantee you Dolly Parton has played the Ryman. So You've been on the same stage as Dolly Parton. She's what? She's how many years? Like well over five decades playing the Grand Ole Opry stage. Yep. The Grand Ole Opry for a while was at the Ryman. Yep. Um, they actually have a piece of the Ryman stage at the Grand Ole Opry where people can stand on that and perform. Nice. Guests. And yeah, she's, I mean, I don't even, I don't even really even know how to unpack Dolly Parton. And by and by the way, I you know I want to remind our, our our listeners kind of what we do with this icon series in general too. This is not meant to be like an exhaustive biography of this person. We are talking about how their art has affected us and affected the world, and uh, just really kind of point out some of these things that make these people amazing, and hopefully like encourage you to go and check out their work a little bit more and see for yourself. If you have undersold Dolly Parton for her or cartoonish looks, then you have totally missed the boat because uh, that is that is part of her strategy is to be under at or is to have you underestimate her because of her. She she admits I look like a cartoon character. People ask me, is any part of you real? Everything is intentional with Dolly. 
I totally agree with that. And that's the thing that uh, let's 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 talk about that just a little bit, because anytime that I've seen an interview where uh, another celebrity or someone in, you know, inside the industry that has uh, played on stage with her or that is close to her, like almost everybody says something similar to like, you know, she's always Dolly. She's always always, on. She's always on. And it's like just just the that incredible kind of commitment to your craft is just truly amazing like it makes me think of actually one of the other icons that we talked about prince i i feel like you know first of all <laughs> that guy came out fully formed it seems like dolly was the same way she was like has always been dolly and kind of like grown up with that but how about the fact that i can just call her dolly and you know who it is like there's such a short list of celebrities and icons and artists specifically that you say their name, say one part of their name, and you know who it is. You know what I'm saying? I agree. I mean, she is one of a kind. And this, okay, let's go with the song Dumb Blonde, 1966, I believe. She was basically telling you, you're going to underestimate me because you look at me because of my blonde hair and my my figure and, and my, my rhinestone outfits. You are not going to, you are not getting me at all. She's an incredible songwriter. She's penned something like over 3,000 songs. She's been in movies. She's recorded songs with the greats like Linda Ronstadt and Willie Nelson. She's had top hits in country music and pop music. She's crossed genres. She, Like I said, she's still going like five decades in. One of the things I think is amazing about Dolly Parton is is in her track record. She's had um, over twenty five number one hits on the on the country charts. In that space of time, too, as well, she's had like two massive hits on the on the Billboard charts with um, the song Nine to Five, which was from the nineteen eighty film Nine to Five. It's a great film. I what? watched it recently. Have you seen it recently? I have. Which she wrote to order for, I guess, uh, Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. Dolly said, I can write the song. She came back a few days later, some short time later, and played this song, and they were like, holy crap, this is the song. I mean, dude, I've, I've probably heard that song over the last few weeks, a couple weeks, ten times, and now I'm going, around, now I'm going around the house singing it. My wife's looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm working nine to five. Well, it's just a great, well-written song, and it's something that, like, you know, one of the one of the the great things about a great pop song is that it's completely relatable to so many different types of people. It's one of those songs, like I certainly remember hearing it all the time from when I was a kid, and really all the time now. It's become some sort of an anthem and has completely relatable lyrics that goes across genre. It can be a little campy, but you know, sometimes campy stuff can be connect with the with the most kind of people because it's just fun. It's it's pretty incredible to think that like a song that big that that you know kind of emerged from this point when you know she was actually getting into films from being like this country music icon. But the other song on the on the Billboard charts that was a number that was number one, I believe, um, was that track uh, "Islands in the Stream." Kenny Rogers, how, I knew there was somebody else. Yeah, Kenny Rogers is. People forget that Kenny Rogers ruled the world at one point. He really did with some of the the collaborations he did with Lionel Richie. And that was that was a BG song that originally Kenny Rogers was set to record and apparently I, I was watching on the, the like the Spotify notes and apparently Kenny Rogers was not having luck with it and I guess he told Barry Gibb, "I don't even like this song anymore." 
And I forget which one of them said, go get Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton came in, instant hit. Instant hit, dude. It's genius. You know, and uh, that song, that song is really a well-written song, too. Like, just a side note, if if, if any listeners that haven't seen that Bee Gees documentary that's out on HBO, um, it's actually a really cool watch. And they, they talk about this track on there and how, like, you know, when they, they it just kind of became like this resurgence for the for the guys in the in the Bee Gees as well those brothers when they were kind of in this point where you know the world was starting to forget about them I mean massive massive hit it's so catchy it's you know I'm not going to say that it's not a little bit easy listening cheesy but it's so catchy and you can't deny the power of of what it is so I mean it just really says everything about you know the star power and just the massive kind of magic that surrounds Dolly as a person again, calling her Dolly. Like uh, I'm thinking of like, who do you call by one name? You got Prince, you got Elvis. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. She's, she's been pretty amazing with that stuff. And, and then of course, you know, if we're talking about songs, we got to talk about the massive hit of the nineties that I think still some people don't realize was written by Dolly Parton. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I, I will always love you. Yeah, dude, that's that song is probably not only the '90s. It's probably one of the most recognizable songs of the last twenty or thirty years. Everybody in every country, you hear that. Now everybody knows the Whitney Houston version, which is freaking amazing. It's really, really good. And Dolly even said, "Wow," she when she listened to Whitney Houston, she's like, "I didn't think of it like this." But yeah, I mean, that's that song. Didn't Elvis want to buy that song from her? Well, the story that I heard, because um, I was I was reading about uh, songwriting, uh, licensing, and publishing recently, and I saw this story about how Dolly was talking about that she actually was meeting with Elvis's management for him to cover that song. So I think this would have been like in the late '70s, early '80s, probably right before he passed. Probably, um, I would say probably in the '70s, and uh, you know, she had released it on the same record that had. You know, obviously one of her biggest songs, Jolene, mm-hmm. was on the same record as that. And I think that she's released it a couple different versions over the years. Um, but he was set to record it. And it was kind of this controversy um, where even though – so Elvis's um, business practice apparently was to um, receive some of the publishing rights to the songs um, for him, in turn for him recording it, even though he didn't write it. Smart. Um Yes and no. I mean, it's kind of this controversy uh, with songwriters in in general um, for taking credit for the song when they when they didn't. And there's actually a whole like you can look it up. There's a whole like group of people that um, have kind of banded together to refuse to do this practice. Um, that's a whole other subject. I don't, I don't want to get too far into, but it was to Dolly's credit that she was like, no, I I I can't give up the rights to the song because it was like she knew it it was amazing and she knew that it was great. And so what they ended up doing is, you know, working out better for her in the long run. Cause with Whitney Houston's version from the film bodyguard um, now it's solidified as like, you know, as one of the, the biggest pop songs of all time and most recognizable. Um, but that had to be so disappointing. Can you imagine telling Elvis? No, I, I think, <laughs> I think I watched an interview where she said it was difficult for her because if Elvis wanted to do one of your songs, it would be hard to say no, be really hard, especially when I can hear him singing that. I can hear Elvis singing, Yeah, I Will Always Love You, and I think he would have hit a home run on it, but she, I I admire her her uh, 
her backbone to say, no, I'm holding on to it. It was the right move. Definitely in hindsight, it was the right move. Yeah. And then she wouldn't have seen the the fruits of her labor for another, for another two decades almost. Um, but I think that that really says something about um, her ability to kind of forecast of where she wants to be as an artist, which is at least some of what I hear uh, when, when, you know, people talk about her inside the industry is like, just going back again to the fact that like when she leaves the house, you know, she's Dolly. It reminds me of, you know, the fact that like, still people don't even really know much about her husband, you know, married 50 years. He's hardly ever seen in public. If you Google him, it's hard to find more than just a handful of images. I mean, that's an incredible thing right there. Like that's just fodder for like a, for like a movie or a novel right there. Like who is Dolly's husband? And just the fact that he's been able to remain so private is incredible with consideration of the fact that she's like a multi-platinum international star, right? I mean, even Oprah, everybody knows what Stedman looks like. And that's the nearest that I can compare it to would be because Oprah is like one of the most powerful people in the world. And her, her they're not married, but it's her boyfriend. He kind of stays in the, in the shadows and the way, waiting in the wings. If you Google Stedman and Oprah, you can find picture, more pictures of Stedman than you can find of Carl Thomas Dean. There's a, there's a few pictures of him out there, um, but I think it's very, very rare. And it, what's incredible about that to me is like, um, just again, the, the level of commitment to her craft that she has in, in building up this structure and this, this public persona which, by the way, I'm sure is also um, an amazing protection from the onslaught of everybody wants to know something personal about your life. And they want to think that they know something about you from like stuff that they can pull up to be able to hold on to that and hold that close is so amazing too. the fact that they've been married for so long, because I got to imagine it gets very difficult, you know, with that level of visibility to be able to keep a connection to another person. So um, pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, this is not done in today's society. I mean, in the tabloid world that we live in with, I mean, name name any celebrity. I guess the Kardashians are kind of the first one that come to mind. But anybody, it's so hard to stay private, but she's stayed private for 50 years. And yeah, she it's can, really a tremendous achievement. And she continues to stay private. The only thing that I've ever, and I'm not a Dolly like expert, but the only time I've ever heard her kind of reference her personal life was when she was explaining that song, Jolene. She said, this song was written about a woman who was coming around my man when I wasn't home. I don't know if that's actual fact or drama that she used on stage, but right. it, it seemed like it was coming from a genuine place. But even if it wasn't, you know that, that's got to be on her mind at some point. She's on the road a lot. Her husband's, I mean, I don't know what he does, but I'm assuming he, he goes out and sees people at some point. So that might've, that might've been the only peak we ever really got into Dolly's personal life. She said she came home and, and had, a, had words with this lady. You stay away from my man. Um, which good for you, Dolly. Yeah. Even if it's a story that she made up to craft in this song, it's become a sort of truth because it brings like gravity or, you know, gravitas to the song. It, it, it makes me think too, like, wasn't there, there was a story behind uh, I Will Always Love You. In 1974, her song, I Will Always Love You, written about her professional break from Porter Wagner, went to number one on the country chart. From what I'm understanding, Porter Wagner was, he was a star in his own right, bigger than Dolly, in fact, actually. Yeah, I mean, he had his own TV show at the time and, 
you know, she came on the show and it really like raised her, her visibility to the entire country too. She became more popular than he did. And she, her star, her stars began to outshine his and she, she wanted to leave the show or she knew she knew she needed to leave the show. And this was kind of a song written to him like, no hard feelings. I'll always love you, but I've got to move on, which is really touching. It's really, when you look at it, I mean, everybody looks at it like a romantic song, but it's it's more like one friend telling another friend, I've got to go. I can't stay here anymore. And it's, I think that's why it resonates so strongly because it wasn't just some song that somebody wrote down on a piece of, like a napkin at, at Denny's at three o'clock in, in the morning. Like, let's write a hit song. This actually, which, no, I mean, if you, if you do it, go for it. But this was a real song based in real emotion. Um, but it's, you know, that's kind of the magic of songwriting in general. And I think one of the, the reasons why this song is actually kind of a masterclass in writing um, is that she was able to, to somehow encapsulate in a very, very, a very, very accessible pop song, I Will Always Love You. She was able to encapsulate in there some pieces of this actual um, relationship and things that she was feeling in there. And that's kind of like the challenge in writing a very um, catchy or a very personal song is to put just enough details or find just the right metaphors or just the right balance of these, of putting yourself and your own pieces into a song that then becomes universal. Some people think it could be so easy to just write a song um, with a great hooky chorus and then be like, you know, oh, I just did that. And sometimes that happens, but most of the time it's a challenge and you have to spend a lot of time like getting to the heart of what the message of the song is and and and, and simplify it to the point where it becomes universal. To do that, it's not an easy task. And Dolly Parton is incredible at doing that with her songs. I agree. Uh, let's talk a little nine to five. Let's switch subjects here real quickly. Nine to five, I believe, was her first official movie role. And I watched it recently, having never seen it before. And I got to tell you, she nails it, dude. She nails it. She's so likable and believable. And she's got a great sense of comedic timing. And from what I understand about this movie, for those of you who I guess haven't seen it, it originally was very dark. The the screenplay was darker. The book that it was based on was dark. And the, the studios came and said, Listen, this is really dark. It's about it's about women tormenting a, a horrible boss. And <laughs> and they said you got to make it a comedy or we can't make it. And they cast Dolly Bingo Bango. There you go. It's it makes the dark humor funny because when Dolly's on screen, I mean, you know nothing really bad's ever going to happen cuz Dolly's there, right? Well, she steals a scene literally in every uh scene that she's in. I mean, like and I think she didn't have any formal uh, acting training. Either, I don't think so either. She's she's just a unicorn. You know, let's just be honest. She's just a unicorn. She's just just amazing at that. Um, but you're right. Like she steals every scene and she uh, you can't just help but watch it. And you just kind of know that, you know, at least it's going to be interesting and exciting. And that, that is like that could be such a dark movie. It's almost could be like uh, one of the scenes from Saw, really, or, you know, something like that. But it becomes or I, I think of like the the king of comedy that would have come out like a couple of years after that. So, you know, it's a similar type of story as that, but um, played to totally different ways. And in, it was a fun movie for sure. I think of, of Scorsese with Goodfellas with the body in the trunk. When they leave the hospital, I'm not spoiler alert, but when they leave the hospital with the body in the trunk, which is the wrong body, I'm like, 
What are they doing? It's supposed to be a comedy. They've got a dead body in the trunk. But like I said, the whole time you're watching, Dolly's there. So, you know, everything's going to be okay. And it's funny. You can laugh. And it's it's a safe space while, Do- while Dolly's there. And She has that quality, doesn't she? Like, I just like, you know, so many interviews I've seen of her. Um, if there's a question that she doesn't really want to go into, you know what she's really great at? She makes a little joke. And then moves on and there's nothing you can do about it. It just like goes away. Like that is an art. She does that in spades. It's it's really impressive to watch. Well, think about how long she's been in the public eye and how I can't think of. And, I, and we did some research. I can't remember one scandal that's ever really come out about her. Yeah, that's true. I, I can't think of one either. And she's alluded to the fact in, in some of her interviews and concerts that she. She kind of hides her her I don't know if you call it darkness, but I guess her personal struggles behind her persona. Mm-hmm. But but to be able to do that for fifty years or however long it's been, genius, dude, absolutely genius. That she can put that. This will encapsulate it a little bit. Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, when they were making Nine to Five, I guess they would spend the nighters, have sleepovers, or like just hang out with each other. They said. They never saw her without her wig and makeup. She would go into the bed in her bedroom at night, close the door, come out the next morning, dolly again. I mean, that's got to that's got to be a weight. But once again, it's commitment. No one like her, you know. And and she does have such a good heart too. Like, I don't think that we're going over the top by saying she has a good heart. And like, when you talk about like you know that everything's going to be okay when she's in a scene, it's kind of like that is her hyper-realized version of herself of whoever Dolly is like she's known to have like so much active uh um philanthropic efforts as well you know from scholarships to um different kinds of like trust funds uh telethons to help people like she even donated what was it, like one million dollars to COVID-19 research and ended up like it was the Moderna vaccine right that she uh helped fund which I got so thank you Dolly there you go. You know, and actually, too, like, it was pretty incredible, too. Like, um, I'm sure that, like, because of her donation efforts, she could have gotten it early. Um, but I've, I've seen a couple articles about her basically refusing and waiting for her turn in line um, because, you know, she does care about other people and the way that you know, that's going to affect them, want them, the people who need it more to get it first. That's that's pretty incredible. Like, she just seems like a good, solid person, right? That's something, you know, I just, this just popped into my head. I saw her uh, having a friendly conversation backstage on camera, of course, with Brian Johnson from ACDC, the gremlin of the biggest hard rock band, probably in the history of the world, Brian Johnson and her are friends. Crazy, crazy. She can just cross boundaries in a way that I think would be hard for other people too, because once again, she's Dolly. I don't think we're ever going to see another Dolly. I think we need to appreciate what we got right now. And I got uh, her greatest hits record collection. It was like a double record. I've been listening to it a lot. And granted, I'm a metalhead. I'm kind of a, you know, I mean, I'm not, I mean, it's not my forte, but I got to tell you, I'm, I'm becoming a fan. I'm really becoming a fan of Dolly's music. When you realize how smart, how talented she is, actress, songwriter, singer, performer, great guitar player, amazing. Well, and she also gives such an amazing, strong voice to women and to equality for women, um, even all the way back at the beginning 
of you know under not a, not underestimating her as a dumb blonde with that first song. I mean, it's a tongue in cheek song, or she can get super deep. Like I remember uh, on that documentary, they were talking about her song, um, "The Bridge," and my thought uh, about that song because it's a story about this this woman who's pregnant who um, is uh, abandoned, and then actually at the end of the song jumps into the water to end her life while she's pregnant it's like just really really dark like southern gothic story and i was like i thought of you and i was like that is so metal it like, is dude it's bridge and you could make that into like a sabbath song you're right it could be lyrically the same kind of thing and the fact that she had the boldness to do that as a songwriter and just um kind of defy like all expectations about her just says so much in her ability to uh, kind of project this larger than life persona. And it makes me, okay. So here's what I'm really curious about. J Mac is like, where the hell did she find that type of confidence in who she was and what she wanted to do at such a young age? Like she came out fully formed. Where did that come from? I know she grew up in a, in a large family without much money, which makes it even more amazing that she came from nothing and was so confident. I mean, like you said, fully formed her first song, dumb blonde. She, she, she's the same person, at least to, to my eyes in 1966 as she is in, two, in 2021. It's, she seemed so bold and so confident and I don't know where you get it. Cause if I, if I knew I would write a book about it. I would try to patent it. I love that. And it's, you know, I think that why it's so important to talk about too is like, you know, the more, again, the more that I find out about Dolly, the more I feel like I want to know about her. And I know like when I was younger and I was listening to a lot of rock music, I would have been like, ah, you know, that's cool. You know, Dolly's always there. But then you like, again, it's like, it's almost like she like begs you to underestimate her. Yep. And then you like dig below the surface and you like, listen, you're like, whoa, there is a lot going on. there. And then you like, there's like this several layers of inception that the more you dig down, the more you find, wow, she really knows what's up. And she's just as big and just as important as an icon is like any, like anybody out there that you could think of, um, especially the one namers like, you know, Madonna. Bono yeah like she's like you know what I'm saying like she's one of those share she's Dolly we didn't even talked about like she's she made like a an amusement park Dolly one yep you know like she is larger than life unbelievable well and then I think back to that song the code of many colors I was listening to that today and it's a really touching song about I don't, I'm assuming it wasn't based on something real, but it was based on probably the feeling, a real feeling of being poor, where the story the story in the song is her mom made her a coat made out of rags in different, different colors, and she was proud of it. She went to school, and they laughed at her. Mm. I got to think there's, there's some part of that story somewhere in there that's true. Maybe it wasn't a coat. Maybe it was a dress. Uh Maybe it was a pair of shoes she was proud of. Something in that story is real because I don't see how you could get that much emotion from a completely made-up scenario. I feel like she was able to channel her childhood and the the poverty and the and the not having, and she remembered it years later and wrote a hit song about it. Yeah, I I just I really can't say like I only have good things to say about Dolly. Like 
you know, you, you mentioned earlier, like there's been no scandals, no controversy. Nope. Really incredible. There was never a hot mic somewhere where she was cussing out a roadie or something. She's an American original. And and I would like to touch National Treasure. And I would like to touch on before we wrap this episode up about her her uh, partnership with Emmy Lou Harris and Linda Ronstadt in the trio. Oh yeah. They think they made two albums. And Linda Ronstadt is someone who's kind of close to my heart because as most people probably know, she suffers from Parkinson's disease. Right. And she and Dolly and Emmy Lou Harris really sweet kind of like down-home country stuff. The harmonies are amazing. Well, I mean, that's three icons, let's be honest, right there. I mean, we could do, we could talk for hours about both uh, Emmy Lou Harris and Linda Ronstadt. And the fact that all three of them get together to make some music is just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I remember before we did this, we were talking about doing this. I remember seeing, I guess it was on Letterman or some like late night show. And I remember seeing Dolly... Emmy Lou and Linda doing their stuff. And I was like, wow, these, these women are really good at what they do. Growing up, Dolly wouldn't have come across my wheelhouse, A, because I was not necessarily a country music fan, um, and B, because my parents would have saw Dolly, the outward Dolly, and said, you can't listen to that because she's too scandalous or whatever. But Oh, because of her sex appeal. Yeah. yeah. You know what? You just used that to her advantage, too. Like, oh, yeah. She would laugh it off. Yeah. It's pretty pretty awesome. Well, she's got a couple songs like "Why'd You Come in Here Looking Like That" and uh, "My Potential New Boyfriend." She's got some. She's got some lusty lyrics. She knows what she was up to. Yeah, she 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 was she was aware, very very self aware. But, but once again, it doesn't feel dirty or underhanded because Dolly's singing it. I know it's incredible. Okay, you know what my what some of my earliest uh, influences from or like you know awareness of Dolly Parton okay. was. So back in the back in the eighties when I was a kid, my mom um my mom sold Avon for a little bit. Oh, I remember Avon. Yeah, that was a thing that that, that a lot of uh people did. And uh, there was this record. It's legendary in my family. We listen to it every Christmas. There was this uh Avon Christmas record. It was a compilation album. Actually a really good collection of Christmas songs. And on there is uh, Dolly Parton doing uh, a Winter Wonderland. That's what oh, it was called. All right. In the Meadow, We Can Build a Snowman. Isn't that that song? Yeah, yeah. It is so, like, the production on it is so saccharine. It's, like, it's so sweet and cute and perfect. And become, like, it's instantly solidified in my mind as, like, this, like, iconic Christmas song because I heard all the time. So I'm gonna have to make sure that I send you a copy of that for for Christmas this coming year. And if anybody is like looking for a great, they, actually, her and Kenny Rogers did a Christmas record together. Um, oh my god, I did not know that. Yeah, and I, I actually I think they're both together on this on this track. I be, have become more of a fan of Kenny Rogers as I've gotten older. I used to hear her songs playing all the time at the place that I worked, the, the Frank's Nursery and Craft Store. Them together are an unstoppable duo. They really are. They're kind. Con- they're country, but they're also they're they're mainstream enough to be pop. And that's, I guess it's more it's more accepted now. But at the time, country music crossing country music stars crossing over into the mainstream was not something that had really happened. I mean, you had like George Jones and Hank Williams and Marty Robbins. Those people had their kind of their own niche. Mm-hmm. Conway Twitty, but to cross over into mainstream top forty. Yeah. That that was not that was pretty unheard of at that time for country music stars. 
Well, she definitely brought a new visibility to country music and to the American zeitgeist that, and really into the world that hadn't been there before. You know, I mean, I, I think you could argue that you wouldn't have new country and the, and the level of visibility of all the artists that are doing this now without what she kind of laid the groundwork for in the late 70s for those crossover songs, for sure. I agree. You want to hear some of the honors that she's been uh, included in? Do we have time to list them all? Just a few. Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, 1986. Country Music Hall of Fame, 1999. Songwriters Hall of Fame, 2001. Grammy Hall of Fame for I Will Always Love You 1974 recording. Gospel Music Hall of Fame 2009. Country Music Walk of Fame 2009. Grammy Hall of Fame for Jolene 1974 recording 2014. Just, it goes on and on and on and on and on. I mean, I can't even, I don't even know how many albums she's she's released. I'm looking at them and I, I, I don't have time to count them. It's amazing, dude. It is amazing. Oh, like, she really is. Uh, and an, an incredible uh, songwriter and and performer. Well, before we go, maybe we should end on this. This would not have been allowed in my house. Best little <laughs> whorehouse in Texas. She's the madam that runs the brothel. Oh, yeah, that's a fun movie, too. It has uh, Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds, yeah. And once again, dude, uh, she makes it okay to be a madam. It's fun. It's funny. It, she's, like, talking about the girls, what you can and can't do. She's like, nothing, nothing naughty is going on here or something. It's... Her comedic delivery is amazing. And once again, kudos to Dolly. I can't say enough about Dolly. Yeah, I think I, I'm just I'm so glad that we took some time to to really kind of shine a light on on everything that she's can, contributed to to music in general. And um, it's kind of reignited a spark for me to kind of look and and dig uh, again and like, you know, at, at the breadth of her work. And it's really just worth your time. Um, so hopefully, you know, if, if you're listening, go and like dig into some Dolly Parton. I think you might be surprised what you find. Go watch nine to five people. I guarantee you, you will laugh. <laughs> I was laughing out loud. Like, Oh my God, this, this is, this is horrific, but I'm laughing. Cause it's Dolly. It's a great dark comedy. Yeah, it really is. For two tape decks and a mixing board. My name is J Mac. And I'm Sam Wade saying until next week. Stay cosmic.